welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everybody, I want to take a quick minute to tell you something that I'm really excited about. I've recently teamed up with Hitched Inc., one of the biggest and fastest growing tech startups in oil and gas. You've probably seen them all over LinkedIn. From generators to light towers, pumps to forklifts, use Hitch to pair your company with reliable rental suppliers and eliminate the hassle of logistics through the use of an in-app platform. Hit me up on LinkedIn if you'd like to schedule a demo. All right, well, let's kick this thing off. Welcome to this week's episode. We're here in the virtual world with the one and only green alien tiger boot wearing Mr. Hot Take of the Day, David Ramsden Wood, who's also an author, principal at Prevail Energy, investor in Franklin Mountain Energy, CDEV shareholder, and there's not too much else that you don't do. David, how you doing today, man? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on the show. I know we've chatted a lot over the last couple of years and it's nice to join you. And I feel like I feel like I've been able to bring the beard game up in the last five weeks. So I'm not quite where you are, my man, but I'm uh, I'm getting close. Well, this has been a few years in the making. So, you know, I don't know I don't know how long we're gonna be stuck in this silly quarantine thing, but by the end of her, you'll be rocking a solid beard. I'm sure of it. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. a little gray. I'm I'm finding there's a lot of gray and yeah. there's no barbers and like going and just for men and, and looking at coloring. Yeah. It just, it just doesn't feel like the right thing. So I'm just gonna embrace this and I'm gonna let the hair go. I brought back the nineties part because I, I like don't know that what else to do. Getting a little mullet going in the back for a little you I know, saw business that. up front party in the rear. So yeah, yeah. make it happen, baby. Hey, look, you know, it's you gotta make the best of it. And they're funny because you go out and, and like even neighbors that, you know, the women, I've seen more blondes go gray in the last four weeks than I've seen in my whole life. So it's actually really funny to see. Yeah, I don't know. Ladies, I'm sure out there, including my wife, are looking forward to get back to normal. But you know, I'm I'm impressed you're outside. You're not downstairs in your basement with, you know, you have your toes buried in your shag rug, man. Have you decided to step out in the wilderness today or what? Well, so a bit of a story here. So when the lockdown started, right, like these dates are going to be dates that live forever. But it was like March 17th in California. Yeah. And I remember I was working out at the gym in Denver and I was like, what is going on? There's like four people sick. Like now you can't go outside. And then my wife was like, you know, we got to go. Like we can't. Denver's cold. It's generally a wonderful climate, as you know. Yes. But, you know, it's been five months long snow. So she's like, we got to go to Arizona. So we re- we've relocated to what we like to call the quarantine compound in Arizona. Nice. So it's just an Airbnb we have. And so so every morning this is. Not to make anyone jealous, but this is what we do. There's a pickleball court and a, yes. and a pool and a little putting green over there. And so just we're, we're like stuck in walls yeah. waiting for the world to, to come back. So hence, I'm not in the basement. I'm outside, which is well, nice. It's probably better for your mental fortitude anyways, being out there. I think being in the basement stuck there for a while would certainly play a toll on on your mental health. So I applaud you. It's funny you say Arizona. I think every Canadian that you know, does decently well in the oil field, has a pad down in, in Arizona somewhere. So that totally makes sense. I kind of miss basements, actually, talking about basements. Yeah, I miss it. We're actually heading back on Saturday. I do miss the studio basement and the shag yeah. carpet. I'm going gonna to get home and roll around. And sort of like, <laughs> I'll be like a puppy. Just yeah. <laughs> but you That's know, hilarious. I, I am really glad, like, everyone has their own quarantine experience. Yeah. And very clearly that, you know, the, one of the first events I remember very, very vividly was 9-11. Yes. And I remember walking to work that day. I remember the response in the office. I remember watching the, the second plane hit the tower. Like I remember all those things. And it's just a very vivid memory. And so for our family, the positive has been that we have taken us out of our normal life. We're in Denver. Like, so we're not associating any of this with Denver. We're associating it as family time. So it feels like a super weird vacation that nobody wants. And everyone is now very, very frustrated by. Yeah. But you know, the kids are doing online school. So when else do you get to take your kids for five weeks and have them still do school and not miss anything and not miss sports and not miss, you know, all the things. So it's been a very positive experience for our family personally. Other than that, it's been like horrible to watch for our industry peers and yeah, companies and businesses and small businesses and everything that, that's going on. Yeah, no, it is. And you know, it's funny. It's easy to talk doom and gloom and, you know, everyone 
everyone is addressing it and it's, you know, you talking, well, how's it been? How's your family? You're kind of like, it's like groundhog day. It's funny. You mentioned that in your post too. Like I said, groundhog day, like the third day I was sitting at my computer here in my kitchen. Cause my wife's got our office dedicated to like a kindergarten classroom. So I'm in here where all the action is, but just like having that availability to be around my kids and have me be accessible throughout the day has been extremely gratifying. And it's made me totally realize like how much my wife works her ass off to keep my four-year-old and one-year-old entertained. So it's amazing, man. But you know, talking about like, you know, we get creative, like my daughter and I were, we have three entry points to our attic and we were up there and we turned the lights off and she's got my phone and the flashlight and she thinks she's in this like magical world in our attic. And it like totally brought me back to being a kid. I'm like, fuck, if I was at work, like I would have never been able to experience this. And on weekends, we're busy ripping around doing other things. So it's little things like that, like little memories that are being made. And and hopefully it's a blip on the radar. But you know, nonetheless, you know, you're making the best of it. So, you know, whenever I do podcasts, I always look up, you know, I look on the LinkedIn, make sure I, you know, all my ducks in a row, making sure I don't get confused anyone else. And I had to laugh, man. So, (laughs) you know, if you start showing on LinkedIn, on the right hand side, it'll say, you know, people also viewed. Have you ever so yours is hilarious. I find that there's a lot of like really hot women that people yes. like looking yeah. at me <laughs> and then they're like going to check out hot women, which I don't like yeah. I don't really know <laughs> I don't know what is going on with that. Yeah. But yeah, it's... no, I, I have noticed that and like there's a weird algorithm. I think LinkedIn <laughs> is trolling me somehow. I'm not exactly sure. It's just to make me look even uglier than I usually am. They have to stand me up beside like models. Man, like for the listeners, you got to do it. Just check, you know, type it in. And, you know, you've got one that's a CEO of Nude Envy while another one's an owner of Venus Enterprise. And then another one is a half naked lady who's the owner of Adventure Entertainment. And then if you look at the very bottom, it's Colin from Digital Wildcatters. (laughs) So it's like people like hot chicks and controversial people. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, you kind of think about like, I mean, because everyone, I'm sure everyone has got to the end of the internet. They've like had to start again. And like right now, porn, like I feel like I'm looking over the fence trying to just see people hanging out. And that's like the the hottest thing in the world. Oh my God, that's a group of seven. Oh, oh (laughs) if if you start seeing just groups of people in pictures on my internet, you'll know that something weird is going down. But but yeah. I had to bring that up, man. It is so funny. Yeah, no, I I, I noticed it too. (laughs) I don't get it. People who've looked for you also look for nude models. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good to know. I mean, not a lot of people want to see me naked. Certainly not now. I bet you there's some oil field groupies out there that would love an opportunity at that. Well, there's some oil field groupies that would like to like have about seven minutes with me, like in a bag kicking me. That's for sure. But anyway, we digress. This is what what quarantine life comes to. It does. Yeah. You start uncovering all sorts of dirt. But, you know, so look, I'm sure everyone in oil and gas or most know your take on the market, your stance on the current events that are happening. So like I mentioned to you before, I want to kind of peel back the onion, talk about some topics that, you know, maybe can help people chuckle, you know, and this is normally like a podcast related around, you know, technology, innovation, finance, geology, drilling, all that sort of stuff. But I think just getting to get to know you a little bit more, of course, I'll respect your time. I know you got things to do. But you know, we met originally at Starbucks in Cherry Creek after it was I think it was like winter of 2018. And I threw a prayer out on LinkedIn. And it was when I slowly started getting active on there. And I was like, Hey, anybody want to meet up and have a coffee? I'm in Denver in between sales calls, hit me up. And you were like, Hey, let's grab a coffee. So yeah, that was actually really interesting. And at the time, I think you'd maybe only made a few, like maybe one or two posts, but like in general, how has social media affected your career and personal life? Can you like, you know, 30,000 foot view, like give the listeners some context as to what it's done for you? Yeah. I mean, I think that the social media is really, is obviously interesting and there's lots of facets of it and we can talk about the different elements. What I have found, like as life has progressed, you need to have your own brand. I think if you just take a very high picture and you say in the 1950s, you could go to college, graduate, buy a house, the company was going to take care of you. And in, re- yeah. in, in response, you were going to stay there for 40 years. You're going to have a wife, two and a half kids, 3.2 dogs, white picket fence, work for 45 years, get a pension. You're going to be deeply loyal and they were going to be loyal to you. Right. And, and so you had a social media brand, but that brand was inside that company. And it was always the same people. And so they all got to know you. 
as the world has changed, especially in the gig economy, and certainly in my career, I know in your career, so much changes that you're the only brand. You are the brand. And early in my life, and, and when I wrote the book that you know about what the F is wrong with everybody else, what they didn't teach you in business school. Hell yeah. <laughs> you know, I was always fighting this person inside me where, you know, oh, you shouldn't say that. Or as a consultant or like a, an advisor, people would be like, wow, that's a really fresh take. That's really creative. But then as an employee, they're like, well, I don't always need someone rocking the boat. Yeah. And so like I have a very specific skill set. And what I've found is social media has allowed me to represent it. And so, of course, it gets misinterpreted. And it is funny that like most of the things I've done for the last year have been writing. And they always say, don't put things down in an email because they might get misinterpreted. And so when I write, a lot of context sometimes gets lost. And so people assume a certain thing. But this is me. The hot take guy is me. It's intertwined with my career. And so for me, it's been very, very good because I think people know exactly what to expect when they get me. Right. And But it does hide some of the nuances. So I'm glad we're doing a show that's a little bit more nuanced. If, yeah. if that's, if that's an answer around what it's done. No, exactly. I mean, any answer that you give is the right answer. It's because it's coming from what you're, you know, what you're believing in. So obviously you, you get some criticism. I mean, and, and I think that anyone who truly is themselves, instead of trying to like please everybody and, and tell everyone what the fuck they want to hear, ultimately you're going to get some criticism, which some people, it makes them want to cry, you know, go in their cry closets, or it puts fuel on the fire. But when you get that, and I and actually listened to your most recent podcast, the live one that you did, you know, the Q&A, yeah. and you were talking about, you know, energy fintwit. And so I'm sure, you know, people know what that is. And you were making a point of like, okay, I was on there representing myself, whereas all these other people were representing, you know, these, these fake accounts or whatever, like real people, yeah, yeah. but disguising yeah. themselves for lack of better words. And so in general, does the criticism, does that put, you know, fuel on the fire or does it just piss you off? Like, how do you digest it and then articulate and move forward? You know what I mean? So it depends. And then the EFT thing, I was not on Twitter before I thought Twitter was dumb. And I saw Mr. Skilling, people would send me Mr. Skilling, like back when EFT wasn't a thing. And, you know, obviously the insight was great. The memes were funny. And it was humorous. And I think because people in social media, like there is a herd mentality and, and it is one of the problem with identity politics right now is you put yourself in the echo chamber of the things that you want to hear. And so EFT behind skilling and some other people, you know, I put BRV there as a technical guy, but they sort of built this club that then as you saw, lots of people were piling in. Yeah. And, you know, I was trying to grow the brand and figure out what hot take of the day was going to be. Cause obviously like it can't be an unpaid, we can talk about monetization of brand at some point. But so I was like, okay, I'll go back on Twitter. I went on as hot take of the day parody as sort of a joke, but it was very clearly me. Yeah. <laughs> and it, as it grew, what I found was, you know, that what I was interested in reading was a different point of view, the very, very anti shale view. And I would defend it as Dan Pickering does now. And it ended up, it would get very personal. And because of the anonymousness of it, some people took it too far and there's no consequences to what they said. Of course. And so, you know, I, I put my investment positions out there and everyone's like, you fucking idiot. How can you own this? And you're dumb and CDEV and you're an idiot and blah, blah. And yeah. but it lost the context of good debate. I got yes. into debates that, that I probably snapped back when I, when I shouldn't have, I should have taken the higher ground. And so, you know, I'm not a celebrity by any stretch, but it is interesting. You know, there were two parody accounts that spun off. And every time I'd say something like my mom would say, DRW's mom would come in and be like, I, I birthed my blogger. Don't say anything mean. And yeah. It's like, what the hell is this? So, so I went off because it wasn't healthy. Like I wasn't getting any learning from the relationship. Sure. It was just like a troll fest and people were, were enjoying like being part of a club. So LinkedIn for me is better. It's real people. I'm trying to do what I'm doing, which is educate, is teach a different point of view and not be an echo chamber. So yeah, that was, that was the EFT. It doesn't really pour fuel on the fire, but I did get pissed off on a couple of them and, and I snapped back and I'm learning that even if you want to snap back, you really can't. Like, you know, if you read Trump's tweets, the first 11 are like, you're an idiot. You should, you know, <laughs> bah, 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 bah. And yeah. he just doesn't engage, right? He can't engage. Right. It's funny. You know, I feel like people that have the time to really, 
you know, put negative energy in towards it and bash on people on social media, I laugh because clearly you're the one with the issues, not the person actually putting out the content. So it's kind of funny, but so like that's energy fin to it, totally different. So LinkedIn, I've seen people and it looks like respectfully either debate or question maybe your type of thing. I mean, does the LinkedIn thing bother you or do you enjoy the debate and do you enjoy when it challenges your train of thought? So I always love the comments. I would say that especially with COVID, right? Yeah. My profile was large from doing the energy. And I think that some of my early energy takes people were frustrated by, but I didn't have a very big like audience. So it didn't really come out. Certainly COVID is a very, very emotional issue. And I have been, you know, very much on record saying that the destruction that we have now done to the economy in five weeks, not only have we undone 11 years worth of jobs, we are permanently screwed for the next 10 years and that we are going to enter a great depression unlike anything we've ever seen, including 1929. And there were a lot of reasons and there was a lot of data and a lot of context, but a lot of people were very, very personal in the attacking and sort of like, you know, you, you want people to die and you don't love your mother. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that stuff. So to be honest, it's where the live Q and a came from was yes. to be able to provide context like this. And I'll use again, Donald Trump when on CNN, which I used to watch because I'm sort of like a socialist Republican. So CNN was fine, but they would take a 14 second clip of literally the worst context of something he said, juxtaposed against the narrative that they were trying to push. And basically were like, look at the idiot. Here's what he said. And in an hour of a speech, you could take 10 minutes of anything I say, put it in context and make me sound like a total idiot. In any writing I do, you can take one sentence out and be like, haha. But these live Q and A's and things like this, like if you watch it, and if you watch Donald Trump's press conferences, when he goes for the whole hour, yes, he has his idiosyncrasies where thank goodness for me and yeah. like, well, you're lucky I'm here. But then right. he talks to, to things and you don't have to like him, but in context, he's a lot better than out of context. And so the LinkedIn thing has driven me to the live Q&A as sort of a once a week thing. Cool. And maybe more this video interaction like we're doing here. Yeah, no, that's good. And it's, I think social media has generated so much headline readers and jumping to conclusions. And so it's, you got to really have ultimately thick skin. And I think if your content comes and it kind of maybe sounds woo woo, but comes from the heart is genuine. And you're generally trying to provide value to the people that you're fortunate enough to have look at your shit. I think it's okay. And so, you know, it's interesting because when this whole Corona thing came out, I basically posted a link and, and my poster is certainly much different than yours. Mine are more like little nuggets and things of that nature. But I basically said on there, like the internet is single-handedly the most important tool that we can have during the downturn or during this, I mean, downturn, coronavirus, whatever the hell, everything encompassing. All of it. Yeah. And so I've had, and I love helping people kind of get out of their shell and like get on LinkedIn, start a podcast, like put your shit out there because it's one thing to build a brand, but what a brand does is it helps build your reputation right? And ultimately, we all want a good reputation. So what would your recommendation be for folks that are maybe on the fence about posting because they're kind of scared? They actually give a shit about people's, you know, judging them, which they shouldn't. We've all fucked up. So no one has the right to judge anybody. So what would you say for people who are like wanting to do more on the internet, but are kind of scared? Did you go through that at all? Well, so I didn't. And, and so I feel in a blessed position. And again, I think that this was part of where the criticism came from EFT is the EFT people are afraid of retribution and consequences, right? Because they are in a position where they can be harmed. And very fortunately, you know, we sold one energy at the end of November, 2018. I stayed with a private company for a year that was small and, and, you know, great guys, great people, but like you couldn't harm me realistically. And I do really think, I mean, as much as I hate to say this, the being able to be harmed should enter people's minds because yeah. you are going to be judged and every issue is very polarizing. It doesn't matter politics. 50% of people believe one thing, 50% believe another. If you have <laughs> yeah. two opinions that are slightly nuanced, different then the 50% who like you, there's 50% who dislike you. But in that 50%, it's probably 50-50. So now you've narrowed 25%. And then you say a third thing, and now it's 12 and a half. And you can end up putting yourself in a negative position unless 
your brand is important to the thing that you are doing. So like if you're at Exxon, I understand why you're being reluctant because there is a political hierarchy. If you're an entrepreneur doing something, building a business, building a brand, and it's part of you and it's real, you shouldn't be afraid, but you need to be true and genuine. Like you can't, because you know, I am what I am. And so I never worry about me contradicting myself because I've never ever manufactured an opinion ever. I might change my mind based on data and I'll tell people why, but I am this. And so I can live with this and I can live with people not liking me and I can live with it impacting my future career. If someone's too nervous to partner with David, he's scary. <laughs> you know, just be cognizant of why you're doing it, what you're trying to accomplish, what you're trying to grow, because there are other ways to be heard than just being loud for no benefit. Yeah, no, that's, that a, that's a solid takeaway, man. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people can take that because, yeah, you know, a lot of folks are on the, you know, scrolling, whatever it is, and they see people posting, they're like, oh, maybe I need to post. And, and so I think you're exactly right is what's the purpose ultimately and, and be okay with the consequences and be okay with someone questioning your train of thought because ultimately people yeah. question, you know what I mean? Like it happens every day. I mean, and, and I mean, like, let's be honest, right? I mean, I am this. And this, my whole career, there is a reason I've been fired more than once, is I don't take shit from people, even if they're more senior. I posted a story that was like a senior person was sort of like, you, you seem impatient with me. Like, do you not like me? I'm like, no, no, I think you're great. I just don't think you're very smart. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and, I mean, and, uh, and they're like, wow, how can you say that? I'm like, because, I mean, you're just not. Like, I don't know what you want. I mean, you're a nice guy. I like drinking with you, though. Right. <laughs> But I knew and I accepted that I'm going to have to live with all of this. If I go into politics or if I do an interview or I want to go help banks do a workout or I'm going to sit on the board of Oxy or something like people are going to pull up posts and be like, you know, there was a time you fake licked a poll on Denver public transport to say how stupid this was, right? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I did. I did do that. And it was stupid. But, you know, would you prefer I do nothing and have no opinions or would you like me to tell you what I think? And use that. So, you know, for good or for bad, you're going to get an answer from me. And if that's what you want, that's what I do. Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. I love it. Let's shift gears a little bit. So you're born in New York, raised in Canada. And so what age did you move from New York, Canada? I was three. So my three. sister and I were both born in New York. My dad was working for Exxon when Exxon was downtown yeah. in New York City. And they were only supposed to be there for a year. So he moved to sort of like, I think it was in Toronto at the time. And he got moved in 76 and my parents took in like 40 shows. They were like, they were going to be there for a year. They were going to do New York. It was going to be amazing. Had me, got extended, had my sister, got extended, moved back in 1980 to go work for Dome Petroleum. Okay. So grew up in Calgary, obviously in the oil industry. 1986 was a horrible time in the industry. Dome went bankrupt. You know, I saw my dad go through career iterations of, you know, has a skill, has a brand has an edge, like the apple doesn't fall that far from the tree. Yeah, yeah. And then the world changed like it is now and watching him reinvent himself and that sort of contextualized my life. But I also grew up as an American, like the Fintwit guys, you always look for an identity. Yeah. As a younger person and living in Canada, I identified as American. Okay. So what were you like as a kid? Like growing up, say like, you know, elementary, junior high, were you very similar to how you are now? Or can yeah. you describe, you know, the childhood of, of David Ramson Wood? I mean, I was, I was blessed. I have two wonderful parents. My mother was a teacher and then she was a teacher at a school for pregnant teens okay. when I was a teenager. So, you know, dinner time would be like my sister would be at the club coming back playing badminton and she'd call and say, hey, I'm coming home for dinner. And I'd be like, don't come home. Mom's talking about venereal disease. Like, not, <laughs> like abort mission, abort mission. <laughs> Nice. And my dad always, you know, notwithstanding there wasn't computers and, and phones and social media, he would come home and we'd spend an hour playing and then he'd work in his office. I grew up playing squash, you know, hockey and golf. Those were the things. I ended up, you know, becoming a pretty good squash player. I made the Canadian Junior National Team and played for the U.S. as a senior at the World Championships and Pan American Games. Yeah. In 2000. But no, I mean, I was a smart kid who was a smart ass. Class clown, self-deprecating, humorous, didn't think it was possible to not have success. And it didn't dawn on me that I wasn't just going to be CEO of Exxon. So like 
I said all these things to people I worked with. I remember once I was like six months out of school and somebody was at a meeting and it was clear they didn't know what they were doing. I went to my boss. I'm like, how is this guy still with me? He's 40 years. You got to fight for this guy. This guy's an idiot. <laughs> yeah. And it didn't even dawn on me that I shouldn't do that. Right. So that was me. I'm more me now, but I have a lot more age and wisdom and experience. So I'm a lot more tempered than I used to be. I used to be really extreme. Nice. So this is mellow me. If you okay. can do it. Nice. So were you a studious kid or did you go out partying or were you for like, were you focused on school and sports? I didn't party because I was playing squash. So I was playing, you know, three, four hours a day squash. I didn't drink. I didn't do drugs. I don't think I didn't drink, drink till I was 19, which in Canada, it's 18 drinking ages, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I really, I didn't do that with school. I didn't have to ever study to get, you know, nineties. So Unfortunately, that manifested. I heard a story about my father that he didn't go to engineering class and would just borrow people's notes and then <laughs> he would just study for the final and do fine. And to one up my father to show that I was smarter, I didn't go to class and didn't study for about a year <laughs> and didn't have a great GPA that semester, but got through it. And then by, by third and fourth year, I was like, this seems like a waste. And I started getting a little bit more studious, but there you go. Well, you seem to have a good sense of awareness, like, you know, for all the things you're saying, you then realize, okay, now I need to do this in order to continue with my initiatives. Like growing up, obviously you want to be a professional squash player, but like through high school and stuff like that, did you know you want to get into oil and gas or did you have yeah, other aspirations? Oh, you did. Okay. You know, my father was my hero. Still is. Cool. That's awesome, man. And so one of the ways we bond, and, and I think back on it now, right? He was this kind of personality, don't take shit, brash, didn't play politics, and so in a downturn like this in the 80s, kind of got sideways and didn't work and sort of retired. Like, so I describe it as retired at 49. Like he clearly did other things, but retired from his primary career. And so we really bonded over, you know, the stock market and oil and gas and oil city. And, and I always wanted to be a chemical engineer, go into oil and gas, work in oil and gas. Always dreamed that I'd work at the same company as my dad at some point, but he'd retired by that point. Yeah. So it was just a big part of my identity. And it's my hobby. Like I truly, I gave up squash willingly in 2006 when I got transferred from Calgary with Anadarko to Denver with Anadarko. Right. And I knew I'd give up my whole squash. I was playing tournaments still. I was coaching kids. I was, and I was like, no, I prefer my career. I prefer this as the thing I love and I'm passionate about it and I want to do this professionally, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And like a sport, I truly believe in meritocracy. And I was like, if I want to do this, I got to do it. And so, you know, I poured my, my whole soul into it, you know, lost myself there along the way for a bit, but made it back. So nice. So do you, assuming your old man's still around, which it sounds like he is. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah he, he is. is. So do you look to your old man for a lot of mentorship still? Like, does he help kind of guide you and, and help make maybe some like big decisions that you contemplate or do you kind of like, cause every mentor has a mentor. And so would you consider him as one of your mentors or do you? Certainly early on. And I will say like in everything and like the quarantines for families are going to change family dynamics up until 2006, before I moved to Denver, I would talk to my dad probably seven times a day on the phone. And I'm sure there's a lot of people when I moved, that was 2006, 14 years. So I was 28. And so I'd probably talk to my dad seven times a day. When I moved to the US, life got different because my wife was pregnant with our second child. There was no health insurance, you know, for her to move, even though it was with the same company. It was a pre-existing condition, so she couldn't move. I was American, she was Canadian, so there was no visa. So we sold our house. She moved in with her parents and she lived in, in her parents' basement for 16 months while I commuted for 16 months to work for Anadarko. And I did my executive MBA during that time. So I was working crazy hours. I was never home and I was traveling all the time and doing my MBA. As you can imagine, I wasn't super popular at home. So that broke, so not broke, but I didn't have the time to talk to my dad as much as I used to. And then, you know, life, life happened. So, I mean, we're still very, very close. But I probably don't talk to them as much as I should, if I'm totally honest. Sure. No, and that's easy, man. Like, you know, growing up, you know, born in Calgary myself, raised in Vernon, British Columbia, head back out to the oil field. You know, I'm my mother's only son. And, you know, she now is traveling and doing things. So I can identify, like, she reaches out to me. And, you know, it's sad to say, but if I get, you know, a text message from, say, a drilling engineer or, you know, 
a customer or, you know, someone in the field that needs my attention, I'm so quick to respond, but my mom messages me and naturally I'm like, Oh, I'll get back to her. But what I will say, and it's sad to say that, but it shouldn't, and it shouldn't be. My old man passed away a few years ago. And so they had retired, you know, typical Canadians retire in Mexico, right? So they're down in Mexico. My old man, you know, we have our first daughter and he tech, you know, he messages me. We do the, the WhatsApp thing back and forth. He was in his late sixties at the time. So not too technically savvy, but enough to be like, Hey, you know, send me pictures of Royce. That's our daughter's name. And I say that to say he bugged the living shit out of me for almost a year to come down and visit him in Mexico with my daughter. But you know, we always have excuses or whatever. And like we'd visit them once or twice a year. But from the time my daughter was born, up until about a year, we didn't go down to see them. And lo and fucking behold, I get a call. I'm at work and my wife calls me and is like, hey, I don't know how to tell you this, but I just got a call from some random in Mexico saying your dad just passed away. And I was just like, holy crap. So without getting all into like the emotional aspect of it, it was like, I should have just freaking booked some flights and went down there to see my dad so that he could see my daughter. So it really has helped build perspective on, on family and parents and stuff like that. So when you say, you know, I should probably more like it's real because you can never replace time for money. And I've tried to live by that ever since I got that damn phone call. And so for anyone out there who is so caught up in work, drilling wells and, you know, going nuts and, and trying to prove yourself to all your, you know, bosses and supervisors, just remember, if you were to be in the hospital right now, who would be there? Would it be your freaking employer or would your old man and your parents, sisters, cousins, whatever, would they be there? And so just a little bit of context and yeah. perspective for some folks, because, you know, right now, I think during this quarantine, a lot of people's perspectives have changed and they've really, you know, they look around they're like, do I need this fancy this? You know, do I need this fancy that? Like, what do I value? Well, most people value family, but they're always willing to put them off because they know that they'll always be there. And so it's, yeah, it, it's an interesting sort of take on things. Well, and it, I, mean, and it's, I mean, as you know, from the book, right, I was fortunate in that I had sort of a personal awakening in 2012 when I got fired and, and sort of the journey about the way that you should prioritize yourself. Yeah. So I'm a lot more comfortable now and comfortable with the decisions and the time allocation that I do because I, I was probably as self-aware before, but I just repressed it because I was trying to accomplish something at any cost and I realized the cost was too high. And yeah, I mean, you have to have balance, whatever that balance is, because it's not someone else's perception of balance. It's you have to balance your family, your kids, your parents, your siblings, your cousins, your work, your life, your finances. And whatever that is, you got to do it and you got to own it because you're going to live with the consequences every single day for the rest of your life. Big time. You mentioned school and you mentioned in the book as well. You took your MBA. What are your thoughts on school, like further education? I mean, there's, there's sort of the big push like, oh, you know, school's overrated now. You can make it on your own as an entrepreneur. You know, real life MBA is the way to go. Can you touch on that? And right now, I think a lot of people have contemplated school. In fact, I'm actually going to go back to school. But what are your thoughts on getting your MBA or furthering education right now? So I was very fortunate. Anadarko sponsored me to take my MBA. That was one of the reasons I could do an executive, but you know, it was a high ticket item and Anadarko paid for me to do it. So at the time it was probably a hundred thousand dollar degree. And in a situation where, where money isn't your object and you know, I, I was going to stay at Anadarko for my entire career. So I wasn't worried about it. It was a great trade for them. It helped make me more wise, but fundamentally, and, and my buddy, I call him Chad from Rhode Island in the book. He's a real person. I'm, I'm going to get him on the podcast at some point. But nice. I mean, he described it as an MBA is a tour to the library. And, you know, you're going to go to class and you're going to learn because a lot of people are, are visual learners. And so the teacher is going to say things and guide them and steer them. And they're going to be held accountable and they're going to learn. But really, the MBA, you can't go into all the subjects in enough detail to really make you an expert. So yeah. like, here's a book on Porter's Five Strategies, Five Forces That Impact Strategy. You should read that. Here's a book on you know, financial accounting. And here's a book on, and you have to, so I think that people can get the same learning without spending the dollars. And that in this day and age in particular, yeah, you could have worked your entire, like for the last four years to get an engineering degree for oil and gas to graduate and go into a, a job market. And this will be the single worst job market in the history of the world. <laughs> yeah. And people will graduate with $200,000 or $100,000 of debt and not be able to work, and they're going to end up with $30,000. So I personally have come even more strongly to the view that degrees are overrated, and that people used it as a rite of passage 
because it was like a way to build a wall to prevent other people from coming and taking their thing. Oh, you don't have a university degree, so you must not. But, you know, you've worked for 15 years and done this and built this. Like Bill Gates dropped out of school. Michael Dell dropped out of school. Mark Zuckerberg dropped out of school. So I don't think, I think that the thought process and the way you analyze data is important. I don't think the degree is important. So I would be cautious about saying, hey, you know, I was just laid off. I'm going to go do my MBA and go spend a lot of money. I would <laughs> yeah. rather see you spend that fifty or $75,000 starting a business. And, and what I love about what you've done in your brand, and we talked about social medias, is the things, all the gigs you do, and you never know which one's going to work. Yeah. And so I've always described it as your career is a river. You jump in the river with a whole bunch of people. You don't know what's coming, but you make the best of it for what it is right now. And what you think you're going to do, you might do something different entirely. So you need to be flexible and adapt. And so to me, I would rather people adapt to what the world is today and deploy that capital in starting a business instead of getting a degree that like you can't say, hey, here's my degree. Give me money. Right. Yeah. No, that's a great point, man. And I think... And again, I'm similarly in a position where my company who I work for is supporting me financially, you know, given certain conditions. So to throw up X amount of money to go do, and it's actually going to be the the GEM program there in Denver. So anyway, it just, it made sense. It fits the mold with what I'm interested in right now. But yeah. And you know, Tira, if you should do it because there's a reason to do it. And this again is the social contract and it's how I've always treated my employees and it's how I will always treat employees. I expect you to be the absolute best you can be and tell me your best advice and live with the decisions I make as the senior person. You tell me this and then we're going to do it. And in return, there's a social contract that I am going to be loyal and I'm going to treat you with respect. And that was a relationship. So if if your relationship with your employer is, I want you to advance yourself with this degree. And in return, we expect you to be loyal and stay with the company and drive business and be helpful. It is a win-win equal power relationship. And that's a great outcome. And so again, think of school as, is this a equal power relationship with what it is I'm trying to accomplish? Does this degree, am I doing it because everyone says I need to this degree or doing it because I truly believe that it will do this for me to allow me to do this. And therefore I'm willing to make the trade of money and time for this outcome. Yeah. And to be honest, that's kind of the thought process I took behind it. Cause I mean, I barely graduated high school. I barely graduated. Well, I say barely. I worked my ass off and did pretty well at SAIT. You know SAIT, right? Yeah. yeah, I did the petroleum engineering technology there and stuff. So, But school and me are like oil and water. Like I am not good with academia, especially when it comes to online learning. I'm willing to eat shit for the 18 months and make it happen. But ultimately, there's value being added. Me personally, company, it makes sense. So with you, again, more on a personal level, are you doing exactly what you love? And if not, what separates you from where you're at to like just complete happiness? Or do you think that even exists? So I don't, I mean, I don't think complete happiness exists because, yeah, and I'll use the example with money, no matter how much money you have, you always want double. Mm-hmm. And once you've exceeded your target, then you still want double. And it explains why, you know, people are still making financial bets when they have all this money. Like they just, they need to keep themselves going. Am I doing what I'm totally happy with? The hot take of the day was one of the first things I've ever created that was solely mine. I could never be fired from it. I could never, you know, I obviously have advisors who tell me, you know, that's a good concept. You you know, that's too early. You really shouldn't say that. And I probably say it anyway. Yeah. But no, I've always wanted, if I wasn't in oil and gas, I probably would have been a university professor. Okay. And so this is giving me an opportunity to teach. And I love people very clearly, even if it doesn't come across. So I like engaging and interacting. And like the fact that you, you said, Hey, who's up for a coffee? A lot of people will tell you, like, if you send me an email, I I respond. If you send me a text, I respond. If you call me, I pick up. If you have a question on a business, I I don't want to get paid. I mean, at some point I need to make money, but like I'm doing it because I value making people better and teaching people. So I feel very blessed. I get to do this. Awesome. I want to figure out what's next. And I really do want to do something now that the economy's blown up that is going to be impactful to more people financially. And I don't know what that looks like, but I want to be part of rebuilding this country because I'm very, very afraid of what's coming because of the choices we've made. So what would you do? And it sounds like you're not sure yet, but have you had any just like inclinations on what you would do 
assuming you couldn't fail. Like if the crystal ball said, whatever you jump into right now is going to provide you with fulfillment for you and your family. Like, is there anything, whether it's like, could be anything like president of the United States or, you know, running Exxon, like what, you know, is there anything? So I have a very specific skill set, And so yeah. I know that in this transition business, and I had a podcast where I interviewed Tisha Schuler and we talked about this, but the industry right now needs visionary leadership because the industry is not what it was. And people, it hasn't been what it was and it will never be again. And so there are some drastic changes regulatorily, social license to operate, the way you operate, the way you drill, the way you fund, the way you treat people. There's a whole bunch of changes. I am really well positioned as a person who can be creative and dynamic and visionary to create something. And I would love to do that. So taking Exxon and running it, no. Taking $5 billion and being able to sweep up a whole bunch of bankrupt companies and service companies and midstream companies and work within that confine would be interesting. A lot of people are working towards that and there's some nuance. And if I wasn't doing that, you know, to be honest, I've kind of thought about this Zoom concept. Why do you need a physical university like Harvard to go spend $80,000 a year for four years to go live and do all these things when you could have access to the best minds through video, teach 700 people, do it at a much lower cost and like be productive or in kindergarten or grade six. Why don't people understand how economies work? I know, man. It's yeah. All this shit in school that means nothing. And we don't teach them how to balance a checkbook, how 18% credit card interest is retarded. Sorry to use that word, but it is. And I need people to understand how dumb that is. Yeah. And that economies and the way, like the way money is made, those are important things. So if I started a school or impacted curriculum at an education level or healthcare, that might be something which obviously leads me to government. Yeah. Moving into public service. Right. I think, and this is my gut feeling, is, is I think the education system is fundamentally shifting. We see it now. And, and so like I live in Katy where the, you know, supposedly the public school system is like the best. And so there's a, <laughs> our family friends has a daughter who's in grade six or seven. And she got sent like a, two or 300 page document of outlining like what she needs to do and how she's going to do it. And, and like, it was so overwhelming. And I think like people, I don't know, I think there's so much confusion. And the reason I explain that is like no grade six girl, it's like in that school in that setting, like the parents are ultimately making those decisions. They say, Oh, what are you interested in? Okay. This and that, but like, it's just like overload. And so I think what you're talking about is like, whatever that looks like changing the way we learn as, as society and, and go into real life. I think that needs to change. And, and it sounds like you've got a pretty good idea of, of how that may work or what that may look like. And so hopefully people listen. And if you can somehow generate that and create that, I mean, yeah, you're scaling up your ability to help society. And that's, I mean, hell, there's nothing more gratifying than that. Well, and so this is the challenge. And, and I saw this meme and I've repeated it before, but I love it so much. It's like the left and I hate going left and right, but there are people who hate billionaires and corporations, but they trust the media owned by billionaires and corporations. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And that so fundamentally is so messed up. What I can say is the reason I am so personally concerned about this coronavirus response is because the people with money are going to be fine. Yeah, They don't need to worry about where they're going to get their mortgage from and where they're going to get their money from and where they're going to do all these things. We marginalize 130 million Americans who don't have $400 to their name for an emergency. And those people sometimes end up going into politics. And I'm not going to bang on, you know, Alexandria Octavio-Cortez, but, you know, did school, had a big debt, goes in to be a bartender and then runs for government, has never run a business, doesn't have money. And this is like a career. Yeah. <laughs> if you have money and you can go in and say, look, I don't need to do this for money. I'm doing this because I can make things better. I've run business. I've done all these things. I don't have food insecurity, so I can think about something other than myself. And so to me, I actually like the billionaires running for, for office because like, clearly they're doing it for the right reasons right. as opposed to somebody like an AOC who doesn't have a job, doesn't have like a career and was a bartender. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that should not be the basis for governing. Mm. So I, anyway, I, I just find it very interesting because we need real solutions to all of the problems that we have, education, health care, social services, taxes, right. 
what's going to happen to your daughter who I just saw walk behind you? Yeah, like, she got... What uh, world is she inheriting? You know? Yeah, you're right, man. So again, I know you don't have a time limit here, so I want to give you some time before your next deal, but I, I have one more question. I have several actually, but again, yeah, right. maybe maybe we can do round two. You just go, go all the way to the limit. Okay, well, let's say I'll ask this then. Is there a message that you would like to relay assuming everyone in energy is listening to right now? And I'll use the Tim Ferriss question is imagine there's a billboard and everyone today is going to drive by it. What would that message be for people in energy? It's going to be different. This is not 1985. This is not 2000. This is not 2008. This is its own thing. And this is the end of oil. And I don't mean it in terms of like, we're not going to use oil. And I don't mean it in terms of there aren't going to be jobs. But coal from 2010 to 2019 declined in production and employment and relevance because you didn't need that many companies producing coal. You couldn't raise money to produce coal. And so it just sort of like was a whole bunch of companies consolidating and going bankrupt. And there is other oil sources in the world that can provide the supply of oil to the world. And the U.S. is the marginal barrel. The reason I say that on the first part of my billboard, there was very small printing, so you could put all of that in there. Yeah. Is because hope is not a plan. And right. so I love the industry. People in this industry love this industry, but 80% of people are likely going to lose their jobs in this industry because of this change. And it's not going to come back. Therefore, you need to take the skills you have, the relationship skills that you have built, the data analytic skills that you have, all of the wonderful, incredible things. We work in the most dynamic industry in the world. There's regulatory, there's social governance, there's social compliance, there's engineering, geology, land, accounting, you know, safety, health, all the things. And you have to make decisions like when you get a call from the rig at two in the morning that, that something really bad is happening and you have to make a decision based on that much data. People right. in this are brilliant. They're brilliant. Yeah. And you can go and do that anywhere. And right now, As the economy is collapsing and millions of Americans are out of jobs, it means that you can go and get the jobs that before were held by someone that wasn't very good at their job. Yeah. And so leave the confines of you're going to work in energy for the rest of your life and say, I'm really good at a lot of things. I really can be good and I have to move. I'm going to have to live in whatever city, but I'm going to go restart my career in a different industry and make a difference. That's what my billboard would say. Hope is not a plan. That's what's coming. You've got to grab life by the horns and do it. Yeah. And that's something actually I've been preaching to, especially folk like the young people in their careers, because they have a valuable skill set, whether you're a two, five, six year engineer, you know, we're resilient in oil and gas. And, you know, it's funny because I have, you know, customers of mine are all drilling engineers, drilling managers. And I think they're at a great risk, just like completions is. But I've asked them and I said, dude, like, if all of a sudden your rig got laid down today, you got laid off, you could not get a job in drilling, what would you do? And the crazy thing is, is like, they're like, I don't know. Like, I really, I have no idea. And then not to say everyone has to have an answer, but it's something to at least consider and talk to your family about. Or if you're, you know, you're fortunate to be in a position where all you have to do is worry about yourself because you're not married and don't have kids. You're a little bit, you know, you can pivot, but at least I think it's worth giving it some thought just in case. Cause reality is like you said, you can't depend on rigs are going to be drilling. I mean, we're at maybe 500 right now. We're probably going to be, I mean, you've seen me say we're going to less than 200 and we are never going to climb above. Yeah. Those rigs are going to be scrapped for metal or packed up and sent overseas. Mm -hmm. Some other country is going to use it to drill it because our oil needs 50 and the 48 months average price is 37. Yeah. The writing's on the wall. And so I really encourage people to give it thought. And just because you're turning to the right today, it may mean you never turn to the right again. And so anyway, but there's a lot of, and I encourage anyone who's listening, if, if for some reason you're not listening to David's podcast, listen to it because he gets real deep into the, the more business side of things. But again, a great point. One more question I had, and you're pretty open, but what's something about you that people in the internet world don't know about? Are there any good hidden secrets or, or just interesting hobbies or sort of nuances that you have that you don't necessarily talk about or really ever comes to light? I mean, I've said this before, but I'm actually a pretty funny guy. <laughs> and okay and you know when i hang out with my golf buddies or you know just like i'm a chill guy and it is interesting that i've sort of become the face of like doom and gloom and the day of reckoning and and like every time i, I come and say something it's like a depressing thing but like i've done stand-up comedy before i love comedy okay. 
Like, nice. It's sort of what, like, I wish that I had a, a avenue to do more humorous things. And so, yeah, so so I'm not okay. all of the, the DRW image, the alien image is just a subset. I can be kind of fun sometimes. Man, if you do stand-up comedy, <laughs> I'm coming to watch it. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, uh, yeah, it's, and I, I think <laughs> I have a, <laughs> They're probably not appropriate to start with, but yeah, I'll probably do a stand-up. Like once we're allowed to assemble in more than ten, although the only ten people would come and listen. But yeah, You'd be surprised. I'll, I'll do a stand-up thing, maybe for like a charity, raise some money to help transition oil field service people into something like a new education or whatever, and maybe a stand-up show would be fun. Buddy, that's such a good idea. I love it. Look again, I appreciate your time. That's really all the questions I had. I want to take a few moments to tell everyone about some upcoming events. Actually, a few of them are virtual. So I'll let you go ahead and say that. Hey, everybody, Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on. But we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Awesome. Thank you. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old timer hockey. Once the quarantine thing's done, we're going to continue it up. It's going to be every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. And if you're looking to get in shape for spring and summer, again, once the quarantine gets lifted, visit KTX Fit in Katy, Texas, and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. David, thanks again for all your time today. It's been a pleasure for everyone that was looking to get onto the business side of things and hear, you know, all of David's forecasts and analytics. He's got it all out there over the internet. So I wanted to take time to kind of get to know you a little bit better and give the listeners a little bit of context on, you know, what makes you tick. So thanks again. I'm going to get all the links to, you know, your LinkedIn, your website and put a plug in there for, I mean, is there anything you want to plug right now or like something that you look forward to? Look, I really appreciate you having me on and, and I, I do like getting an opportunity to be a little bit more personal. So I commend you for the, the quality of the conversation. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, like always, people can always reach out. If you have questions or you disagree with me, and you want to understand something more and have a real dialogue, I clearly listen. I change my mind all the time. Ask anyone that used to work for me. There you go. Perfect. And you're doing the live Q&As, right? On YouTube, right? Yeah, on Tuesdays at 1230 Central is what we're trying to do. So we're going to try an hour, an hour live Q&A, just you know, have people be able to call into the show and, and ask questions. So hopefully that helps continue to educate. So thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Well, thanks everybody for listening. If you'd like to leave a review, please do so and help to support the show. Share it, like it, leave a five-star review. And, you know, again, genuinely appreciate everyone listening. Always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.